0: We have a lot to cover today. Um, today's message is, uh, it's, a por- it's a portion of scripture that people read and they're like, man, oh man, what's going on here? And uh, so we're going to go through, we're going to break it down. But before we do, we want to talk about what we did last week. We talked about it in the second part of our message, which was called From Persecution to Peace. What we were doing is we were looking at this incredible depiction of God's deliverance. In God's deliverance, what we saw was the Israelites showed up. They, they showed up to rescue or defend the Gibeonites. And in this account of history, what we realized was the massive scope of what was taking place. This is, this is crazy. Um, what's taking place in Joshua 10 could, could literally have had up to a million people on the battlefield, which is just kind of crazy for us to even imagine. So with this massive battle as the backdrop, what we saw last week and what we took note of was the fact that the Gibeonites, what the hap- actually happened was the Israelites came where they were. We saw them come to their, to their uh, rescue, basically. And what we saw in this way that they came was the fact that we saw that not only were they willing to show up and defend their brothers, but they were literally willing to risk their very lives. Joshua and the Israelites show up with the intent of putting everything on the line. And what we saw in that was the willingness of God's people, our willingness, which should be to defend our brothers and sisters, to come to the weaker brother. We're to come to their aid. But it also showed us really a really cool thing, which was this aspect of sort of a, a surrendered or a submitted or a servant's heart, a willingness to give unto others. And what we noticed is the fact that not only did we see it in them, but we also discussed the fact that it was really pointing to the example that the Lord sets, that God comes where we are. At our moments, uh, at our moments of greatest darkness, the Bible says, even in the valley of the shadow of Of death. God comes where we are. But we also saw that not only did He come where they were, but we also saw that God enabled them to be victorious. He showed them in a miraculous way. What happens? He actually worked in the Amorites' hearts. He made them fearfully, broke up their defenses, and they freaked out, they lost their courage, and they took off running. And as a result of weakening their enemies, what we actually saw was God was strengthening the resolve of God's people, they were being enabled to do something that they would not otherwise believe that could be accomplished. And we saw this important qualifier in this is the fact that they were being faithful. What I want you to realize is the fact that throughout the story of the Israelites, you're going to see times where they're going to be faithful walking with God, and there going to be other times where they're going to be unfaithful. What you'll see in the Israelites is they are a picture of the individual believer. How many of us have fluctuated in our faith? Man, some days we're doing good and some days not so good. This happens to be one of their good days. This is one of those ones where you're like, man, let's record this one for sure, right? And what we find is the fact that here they're being faithful. And because of their faithfulness, what God's going to do is he's going to fight on their behalf. He's going to do miraculous things. But what we also know about the Israelites is just literally within two generations, they're going to slip into unfaithfulness. And what we'll find, you know what, is they're going to suffer some absolutely catastrophic defeats. And what's happened for you and I realize God rewards faithfulness. This is true for them, and it's true for us. God has always rewarded faithfulness and he always, he always will. But again, recognize this is a moment of faithfulness for them. And so what happens as they come to the Gibeonites, what's cool is also the Gibeonites are kind of being faithful as well because they called out for help instead of trusting in themselves, which is kind of a cool thing. But God enabled the Israelites to do this great work. But not only did God enable them to do a great work and to fight on God's behalf, but God actually came down and fought for, for for the Gibeonites himself. Remember, God rained down giant boulders from heaven upon their enemies. And what's interesting about this is the only time we've ever seen this, God's done miraculous things in the past for his people. But these Gibeonites... Are not his people. These are outsiders that God has now included into his body, and we see him defending them. And you know what that teaches us? The fact that, listen, the same protection that we see there that's extended to these people that are undeserving, that are not God's chosen, God does the same thing in our lives. God works in our life, he defends us, he does things that we would not believe are possible to be accomplished. And what's so cool is we can look back in our own life and realize that God has gone to battle for us, God has fought battles that we could not have fought. And brought victories in situations that we would have considered to be completely out of our hands. And How cool is that? Good morning. Understand. Keep in mind the disclaimer about faithfulness. This is key. Remember, it's about faithfulness. That's the word that we have to always have resonating in our hearts and minds. It's faithfulness. And we see God do the miraculous for those that are faithful. And it will be the miraculous that's going to take place today. But understand... When we recognize this aspect of God doing miraculous things, do you realize the limiting factor is not God's ability to do the miraculous? Right. It's us. That's right. We are the limiting factor. It's the level of faith and dependence that we have upon God. What we're going to see today is the faithfulness of Joshua and the Israelites. Because of that, God is going to do something unprecedented and truly miraculous is going to take place. That has never happened before and will never happen again throughout the history of all of humanity. And our message this morning, which is entitled, The Impossible Made Possible. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to bring your word, the truth of your word. Uh, Father, thank you for preserving it throughout time and providing it for us that we might be able to discern and to glean uh, amazing truths for our lives. But Lord, ultimately, the Bible is about you. Lord, help us to see you more clearly today. God, I know that you've spoken to me, and I'm asking you, Lord, now that you would speak through me. Please remove the human element of this message. Please don't let me get in the way. Speak to us, Lord Jesus, in a way that only you can. And I will thank you now for what will be accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. It says this: Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of all of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the day, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel." And so what we see here is being chronicled for us is a more detailed explanation of how the victory was won. Verse number 12 tells us, and it, it, as it starts off, it's telling us that this is happening at the same time what we just studied in verses 9 through 11. Now we're kind of going back and God's giving us additional detail to what took place. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. Telling us this is the same chronicle of events that took place last week. But what's well, us know what we know is at this point in time, this was a conflict. This is when the two armies, massive, gigantic armies, were coming together. But what happened was this massive army and this massive conflict digressed into a massive game of chase, basically, because what happened was the bad guys, the Amorites, all turned and started to run. So this isn't the kind of battle that's going to be won quickly, where two forces are going to face off and they're going to deal. What's happening now is you've got a whole group that are on the run, and now what's happening is God's people are having to chase down these Israelites. So, we recognize in the fact that instead of facing off on the battlefield, this is a process of trying to sort of a, a seek and to find. Now, one half is not wanting to be sought, not wanting to be found. So, they're doing their best to escape. And what we recognize is the fact that God's army is spending their time trying to chase them down, and Joshua realizes this. And so, because this is not going to be a quick, dis, uh, is, what do you call it, skirmish, what he does is he, he asks God to do something totally crazy. He asks him literally. To, uh, to stop time or, or freeze the sun and the moon so that they don't escape into, into the night. And knowing, listen, he recognizes it, that it's God's will that they wipe them out. This is what God told them to do. So he is literally praying for God to do a miraculous work because he knows it's the will of God. And it's this highly unusual request that literally God is going to defy the laws of physics and of time in order to accomplish it. So as we look at that incredible, crazy thing that he asks, I want you to consider there are three points, the boldness of his request, the subject of his request, and the results of his request. So in looking at how Joshua deals with this challenge that he's faced with, we can simply see that he is trusting God to do the impossible. And in looking at what he is doing and how he does it, what it'll be cool is it can show us how we can trust God to do the impossible. Remember, Old Testament pictures to teach New Testament truths, right? First point, the boldness of his, of his request. Is it hot in here? Dude, I am burning up. Y'all are killing me, man. I am, I'm switching out. I am about to, I'm about to die. Give me two seconds. I promise I'll be done. Y'all know I'm hot by nature. I can't help, I'm, about, I'm about to, to lose it. I'm losing this jacket. Okay, that's probably what it is. There you go. There you go. All right, cool. Let's lose that for now. All right, cool. Here we go. Now we're going to rock and roll. All right. The boldness of his request. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel. So Joshua's not whispering some hushed prayer under his breath, right? That's not like, oh, God, would be great if you do this. No, no, no. He's not hoping that God's going to do something miraculous. No, 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 no. What you notice is the fact that he is boldly calling it out. A lot of times when we pray, because we're not sure God's going to answer it, we're like, I'll just keep this between me and God, you know, because I don't want to be too... I don't look foolish if maybe God doesn't answer it. Has anybody ever been there before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're like, oh, you know, maybe, I don't know. No, Joshua's standing confident. It says, in the sight of his men, he's boldly crying out to God, a prayer of faith and confidence in the power of God. Because recognize, Joshua does not, get, does not doubt God's ability to do the impossible at all. He completely believes it. And he knows that he's doing what he's doing according to God's will. God told him. Remember in Exodus twenty three twenty seven, He says this: "I will send my fear before thee. I will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee." He says they are to be destroyed. So we can see that Joshua's request is in literally in alignment with God's with God's will. And when Jesus is referring to this same type of praying, the same kind of request to God, where we're praying for God to do the impossible, you know what he said in Matthew 21 21 and 22? He says, Jesus answered and saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do thus this which is done to the fig tree, but also, this is the part, if ye shall say unto this mountain, Hello? Anybody ever seen a mountain before? Pretty big. Be thou removed... And be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Wow, that's pretty amazing. That's also pretty handy. Because listen, I mean, how cool would it be if I just be like, man, you know what? This is my prayer. You know, God, I I want the Dallas Cowboys to win the Super Bowl this year, uh, 2022. What are the chances? 2023, sorry. Yeah, it would be an absolute miracle. It would be, a, I know the team, believe me, right? It would be an absolute miracle. So it's not just that aspect of just believing, okay? Because there's another component that I'm going to get, we're going to get from, from the Lord, okay? Is this aspect, Jesus is going to mention it in 5, John fifteen sixteen. It says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Notice this. God has ordained us, not to salvation, but that we would bring forth fruit, that our life would make a difference for the glory of God. And he says here, and that your fruit should remain, that we should develop people that know the word of God, that stand upon the word of God. We're establishing disciples that whatsoever ye shall ask. Notice it's in, it's, in, it's in accordance to the will of God. He's qualifying this, saying, listen, you're doing what I'm calling you to do. Notice this. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Okay? So in order for bold prayer to take place, what needs to be done in the name of the Lord. Now, many people think that just means throwing on Jesus' name. I'm going to pray for what I want and throw on Jesus' name, and that means it was according to God's will. That's not what that means. Okay? What it actually means, if you imagine this, if let's say, Karen and I go to the, well, Wes and I go to the, to the football game together. <laughs> we're at the Cowboys game and there it's a Super Bowl. It's unbelievable. It's a miracle. But we're sitting there and he goes, dude, you know, when you go get some food, would you get me something? I'm like, what do you want? So I like, give me a Diet Coke. No, you don't want a Diet Coke. What do you want? Mountain Dew. He wants a Mountain Dew. I know him. A Mountain Dew and a foot long hot dog right? And I go up to the concession stand and I'm there and I order myself a burger and a funnel cake and all the stuff that I would get, right? And I'm all excited. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm going to get Wes's order. Wes wants a Mountain Dew and he wants a footlong hot dog. I am literally making a request in his name. I'm representing him. I'm asking for what he wants. That's what this is telling us. It's saying that when you're praying in Jesus' name, you're praying according to what the Lord would have you ask for. Your heart is in alignment with Him. Joshua is in alignment with God. He's praying by faith, believing, and he's doing what God would have him to do. It requires not only believing faith, but alignment with God's will, which is exactly what he's doing. And and he's asking God to do the impossible. That's That's what Jesus was referencing. See, God would have us to have a bold prayer life. That's what he tells us to have. Listen, Hebrews four sixteen, mm-hmm. Because we're saved, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That's the God. That's the grace. That's the throne of God. Yeah. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yeah. A prayer life that believes God to do the miraculous. Now, why don't many of us have that kind of prayer life? James gives us some insight. James chapter 4, verse 3. He says, ye ask and receive not. Okay, these prayers are not answered. Because ye ask amiss. Okay, so we're asking wrong. What are we doing wrong? That ye may consume it upon your lusts. It is self-serving prayer. It's according to what I want, when I want, how I want. God, you know what? You serve me. That ain't the way it works. There are preachers out there that will tell you, man, man, claim it. Name it and claim it. It's yours. God is not a genie in a bottle. You don't rub it and say, "Whoa, Lord, I'm going to take care of this. It's a lie straight out of hell. That's not what it's teaching us. God's saying, listen, I want you to pray boldly because what you're praying for is what I want, not what you want. A bold prayer life is a a selfless prayer life. But what we have today is many Christians that have uh, prayer lives that are ineffective, that are hollow, that are faithless. Because you know Why? They're motivated by selfish desires. They're motivated by what they want accomplished instead of what God wants done. And so it's amazing. Now, we think about that and we go, okay, I'm supposed to pray according to God's will. But how do I know God's will? Mm, There's the hard rub, man. How do I know God's will? You know what's really cool? God's will just happens to be contained in God's word. Imagine that. Right? It's right here. Guess what? How did Joshua know he was in the will of God? Because he heard it from God himself. Mm-hmm. He could reference back to the word of God and say, listen, I know what I'm doing is what God would have me to do. Yes. And can you know what? The same thing is true for us today. Yeah. Look at this. First Corinthians two sixteen. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Listen, who may know it, but we have the mind of Christ. Amen. The mind of Christ happens to contain God's will. Yes. And you know what he did? He preserved it for us. He preserved it throughout time. If you track all the way back to Antioch and you run all the way from Antioch to Stallings, North Carolina, you know what you can find? A King James Bible that was preserved throughout time. Every word preserved. And people that don't understand that do not have a clue. That Bible is, that is the one thing that is eternal on this planet that you and I can touch and hold. Preserved by the hand of God. So the mind of Christ contains His will. God delivered it to us. And you know why people don't know God's word, God's will? Because they're not in God's word. That's right. So they spend their time down to fill, figure out what's God's will, what's God's will, what's God's will. But they don't turn to the Bible to ever find out. Do God want me to do this or this or this? Well, guess what? He gave you parameters. He established what it is we're to do and how our life is supposed to be lived. What the purpose of our life is. Why am I here? Why was I created? Guess what? You were created to give the glory to God. You were created that your life would shine into the darkness and that the lost world would see Christ in you. That's what you were ordained to be. That's what we're all ordained to be. What we find is the fact that many people, unfortunately, don't pray with that kind of faith. They pray with, with hope instead of confidence. That's where they come from. And then what happens, because we pray with hope and we don't really have faith, and these prayers are not answered, we learn, to guess what? God doesn't really answer prayer. So instead of praying boldly before God and going to the throne, we whisper little doubtful questions. Oh, God, would you maybe do this? God, would it be wonderful if you do this? But I don't think you will. But God, would you maybe? Could you? That's the prayer of life of most Christians. God, would you? Could you? Could you? Yes, He can. Yes, He can. God can do anything. But notice here, that's not what Joshua's doing. Look at what verse 12 tells us, tells us. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel. He's not hiding his request in a whisper. He's proclaiming it openly. But not only do we see the boldness of his request. We next, our second point is this. We see the subject of his request. Notice verse 12, sun, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. Now, do you hear what Joshua's asking for? This is pretty cray-cray. I mean, <laughs> moon and sun and moon stand still. You're going to stop what's happening. That defies physics, man. That's, that's wacko, man. That's crazy. But understand, we're going to get into the physics of what's happening here later on as we look at this. But what I want us to look at right now is the spiritual component. What is it that God's talking about? Listen, when the Lord created our reality, He did on the fourth day establish the sun and the moon. We're going to read that in Genesis 1, verses 14 through 18. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and the rule, and to rule over the day and over the night, and divide the light from the darkness. And God saw it. And it was good. So the God does not name the sun and the moon in this description. We know that that's what he's referencing. In fact, we don't actually see them together in a sentence until you get to Joshua 3, or actually to Genesis 37, 9. And what you'll see is Joseph is recounting his dream and he talks about the sun, the sun and the moon. But what's interesting about this reference here is the fact that they're spelled a little differently than they are in other parts of the scripture. Notice verse 12 says this, sun, capitalized S-U-N, stand thou still upon Gibbon, and thou moon, capital M-O-N, in the valley of Agilon. Now, there's only two places in the Bible where S-U-N is spelled Capitalize. The other one we looked at last week, which is in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. And what we saw there, picture of Christ, listen to this. But unto you that fear my name shall the sun, S-U-N, capitalized, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So a, a, a physical item that's being seen with a different spelling, okay? And we look at that and we go, okay, well, what's going on here? Knowing that we study, our, the, study of the word of God, recognize this, there is a capitalization, of these letters for a reason, okay? If we go to the Bible and we look at those words that were normally not capitalized, suddenly are capitalized and we read them, there's a reason why that takes place. It's telling us that there is not only a a real identity, but there's also a divine identity attached to this item as well. A good example of this is the, the word word, right? Now, if you track the Bible and you go into the Old Testament, it shows up 477 times, Of those 477 times, it is absolutely lowercase every single time. But then we get in the New Testament, and we go through the Gospels, right? Now, the first Gospel is the Gospel of Matthew. What does Matthew do? Matthew reveals Jesus Christ as a king. Then we get to Matthew. Then we go to Mark. Mark reveals Jesus as a servant. Then we get to Luke, where the birth story is. Guess what? It reveals him as a man. And then you get to John. What does John do? Reveals Jesus God. (laughs) Right? Amen. Genesis one one. What does it say in the beginning? Notice how John one starts. In the beginning. the only you places that takes place in the Bible. In the beginning was the capital W-O-R-D, and the capital W-R-D was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. Then you go to your verse 14, you want to identify what is that word? Just to make sure. I don't want to figure anything out on my own. And the Bible says, and the word, capital R-D, was made flesh and dwelt among us. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, more identifier of who it is, full of grace and truth. Then there are words like Son, Lord, Father, Spirit, and God that all show up lowercase, but also happen to show up in an uppercase. So we see here, there's a reference directly to, Directly to God. And by way, by the way, this is the only time when moon is capitalized in the entire Bible. This is it. And so what we discern from this is there's something going on. Joshua's not calling on the physical sun and the physical moon, right? His eyes, though those maybe he's looking at, he's looking beyond them to the force that has control over them. Right? This is, is very key. God is sovereign over everything. And the reason why this is important, listen, is because so many times in our prayer lives, we're so consumed with what we see. Our prayers are determined based upon what we see and what our identity or what our, what our reality tells us, what our circumstances tell us. They limit our prayers. And what he's saying is, you know what? I'm not praying to that son. I'm praying to that son. I'm not praying to that. I'm going to pray to the one who has control over it. This is power, man. He's praying to God Almighty. He has a heavenly perspective, not an earthly perspective. We're stuck in this earth. We're in this flesh for now, but man, our heart needs to be set upon God above. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Man, it's easy to preach. It's easy to reference, but it's hard to live. There are days when our circumstances will overwhelm us. There are days, you ever driven through a cloud that just seemed like it was solid? I mean, you drive through a fog and you're like, dude, oh my goodness, I can't see a foot in front of my face. It feels so real. It consumes our vision. But if you reach out and touch it, guess what? It's not real. This is not our reality. We're stuck in it now, but man, our reality is to come. This place is just where we are for now. Amen.
1: This is a test. Amen. This is a
0: test. What will we do with the time we're given? There's a beginning date and an ending date on our tombstone, and there's a dash in the middle, and the dash is up to us. Yes. What does the dash say? For some people, it's a waste. For some people, man, it's for the glory of God. And we, our lives should impact this world for his glory. Our eyes must be focused on heaven above and the power of God instead of the present world that we live in. And that's exactly what we see Joshua doing right here. He's calling out to God by faith to do the impossible. Notice, we've seen the boldness of his request and the subject of his request and the results of his request. Verse 13 says this And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Now the sun is 109 times larger than the earth. I started thinking about the reality of what was going on here, right? It was like, whoa, these are the results of what's taking place. 109 times larger than the earth. That's pretty big. It has literally it is a gigantic fusion reactor. It is just explosive power, unbelievable impact, and it's radiating incredible heat, x-rays, heat rays, and light rays. How cool that the sun is a picture of God, right? The sun is a picture of God. Consider this. It has three rays that it emanates. X-rays, which are powerful, that go through this planet, but you can't see them, and you can't touch them, you can't feel them. The Father. Then there's light rays. Oh, man, light rays. You can see it. Oh, you can experience it, but you can't feel it. And then there's heat, right? Heat, you can't see, but you can feel a picture of the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Just happened to be three rays that the sun gives off. Then you got the moon, which is just a dead rock. It's a quarter of the size of the earth. It circles, circles the earth. But it's in a very important place. Each one of these is placed exactly where they need to be. Notice they're set in heaven. They're sitting in the middle of nowhere. And yet they're exactly the right distance away from the earth. If we were closer to the sun, we would burn up. If we were further away, we would freeze to death. Yet, we are, per- look at today. I mean, hello, ain't God good. Yeah. I mean, man, what a day. So, here's the sun, just exactly where it needs to be. And there's the moon, controlling the tides. And if the oceans die, guess what? All life on the earth is dead. But those tides function perfectly because the moon is exactly where it needs to be. And how in- interesting that when the sun and the moon, now the moon, the earth, I don't know how far the sun away, a long ways away. <laughs> And the moon's pretty close, but it's still far away, away. Right? But what's amazing, check this out. So God wanted to give us a picture. So what does he do in nature? The sun is exactly the right distance away that when the moon comes in front of it, boom, they just happen to cancel each other out. How remarkable is that? What are the chances that they're exactly the same size, yet there's such incredible distance between them? It's a picture. Because you know what? The sun, the love of God reflects to the world. And here you are, we're on the earth. And what you know, it's showing what there's a picture that's being shown to us. As God's love is poured out to humanity, we can experience all of God's love. Man, there's days when you stand and the sun just ah, oh, just lights you up. You just feel so good, man. It feels amazing. But then there's another light at night that has no light, it's dead. And as a Christian, guess what? We are in a spiritual night when Jesus ascended from this earth. The light of God left the earth. We fell into a spiritual night. We're in it right now. And God tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that you are to shine as lights unto this. And it says, let me look it up. If somebody can quote it for me, it's awesome because my brain's not working. But it's all right. No pressure. Here we go. Uh, 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 uh. Ephesians 2. We're to shine as lights. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yep. By speaking through, nope, that's not where I'm going to be. 215, yes, here. Sorry, my bad. All right. Having abolished in this flesh, that's not it. Philippians. Oh, I, say, where am I? I said Philippines and I'm in, man, y'all are messing me up. <laughs> I cannot do this under pressure, obviously. All right, here we go. That ye may be blameless. This is awesome, okay? So here's the picture. The sun, a picture of God. Here we are, the moon, a picture of the believer in the spiritual night. Listen to what it says. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You are not a light. You shine as a light. You reflect the light of God. How beautiful, right? All this is pictured in God's creation. And then we also see that they had some other roles, not only to define and, and to keep life more functioning and, and existing and thriving, but notice this is in Genesis 1.14. It says this, they delineate time to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So Joshua in this moment is asking God to lengthen a day. Whoa. Now, I don't think he understands necessarily all that he's asking. We think about the celestial components that are taking place in the world. But all he knows is this, his job is to completely wipe out the enemies and he's asking God to allow that to take place. Now when you and I go back to physics class or what was it, earth science, right? And they had that model, right? With the tennis balls and all that business that we used to make back there, remember that? I'm old, okay, so obviously y'all do it on the computer now, but back in my day we did it with foam balls and such and coat hangers. So we had that model. And in that model, guess what? The sun's in the middle. The sun's not moving. So Josh was asking for the sun to stand still, not knowing that. All he's concerned about is, listen, I just know that I want the day to be longer. And the moon revolves around us. And so what we see is the fact that there's a lot of things taking place here that Josh was not concerned with. His only concern is going to the one that controls all of it and saying, listen, God, would you do something that I have no idea how it functions, but I'm asking you to do something that doesn't doesn't make sense? And yet, verse 13 tells us that God does what this man, who has no clue what he's asking for, not realizing the size of the sun or the moon or how all that stuff functions, he doesn't understand it. He has no clue how big it actually is what he's asking. So many times you and I ask for things. We don't know how big of a thing we're actually asking God for. But Joshua says, you know what? I'm just going to throw it out there. God, would would you stop it? And notice this, verse 13, and the sun, lowercase, sun stood still. And the moon, lowercase, stayed. So how did God do this? How did he make that happen? Right? Now we might think, ah, uh, you know, I thought about this. Um, you know, if, if you were to go during the summertime, if you went to the North Pole, you know you have twenty four hours of sunlight at the North Pole because the earth is tilted that way. Did God just take the earth and go crank it over for a little while just to give Joshua what he needed? Maybe. But you know what we don't know. But it really does not matter because ultimately God can do whatever he wants to do. Okay, He is sovereign over the earth and over heaven, by the way. Notice what it says in Colossians 1.16. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. Okay? All things, not some things, all things. And so because of this wonderful fact, God is not bound by the limitations that we are. All the things that hold us back or that limit us in the reality that we live in are not God's. He defies all laws. Laws of physics, time, nature, reality, everything. God has the ability to work through them all. Literally the power to create life and utterly destroy. So God has this incredible power. You know what? Because he is the author of our story. The author of our story. Our history, human history, is in fact his story. How beautiful this is. Notice what it says in Hebrews 12 too. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, notice the wording there, the joy that was set before him, what? Endured the cross. The cross was not the joy. It was the, re- it was the reconciliation of humanity back to God. The family that he wanted from the very beginning that was broken at the fall, now gets to be restored through his son. How beautiful. That's the joy. Whether they be, oh, that's wrong place. Uh, But the throne endured endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And you see, as the author, he gets to write the story. He establishes the reality, but he's not bound by it. It's kind of like you and I. If we take a pen and paper and we sit down and we decide we're going to write a story, my characters could be bunnies. They could be Sasquatch. They could be chickens. They could be people. Whatever we want. We determine who's in the story. We determine how big they are, how small they are, how fat they are, how short they are. We determine everything. We determine how reality functions. Do they live underwater? Do they live under the earth? Do they live in space? We can determine it all because you know what? We're sovereign over the story. We have total control over the story, but we're not bound to the story. Could we rewrite the story if we chose to? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're sovereign. So, what we see is what does Scripture tell us about the way God deals with our reality? Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says this For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And what we're witnessing right here with Joshua is God saying, You know what? I'm going to exercise my right to do what I want, when I want, according to my will. A miracle is nothing more than God defying the laws and limitations of reality. He is stepping into our world and doing what to us is impossible. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And we go, this should not happen. You know, whenever a, a physician comes in and tells somebody, yeah, look, there was a tumor there when we took the stuff. And we looked at it, we tested it, it was there. And I can't explain to you because whenever we did this scan, it's just gone. What do you explain? You know what they call it? An act of God. Lost people even know it's an act of God. And so what we see here is Joshua does not doubt God's ability to do the impossible. You know why? Because he's seen it, right? He saw firsthand when God brought the plagues upon Egypt and did what did not make any sense. Water to blood, uh, you know, uh, dust into lice, all the things that happened. The, The amazing things that God did. He saw the parting of the Red Sea where water that sits flat would suddenly stand up on end and the land was dry, dry land. That means that it was dusty. Can you imagine water that was completely consumed with water has been for thousands of years and suddenly, boom, it's so dry that you're walking across and you're dusty walking across water, the ground that was just underground, underwater. Imagine. Look at that. He saw manna delivered by God. He saw a rock that was struck and enough water to feed several million people coming out of it. He witnessed the walls of Jericho come crashing down. Didn't make any sense. But Joshua remembers it all. And he says, you know what? I know what God can do. I've seen it with my own two eyes. And see, that's the problem. So many times we forget. He remembers what God's done. He doesn't doubt his power or his desire for righteousness to prevail because Joshua knows the heart of God. You see, Joshua is intimately familiar with the heart of God because he, hears, because he has ears to hear when God speaks. And see, what we have to ask ourselves is, do we have ears to hear when God speaks? When we look into his word and God reveals sin in our life, when we look into his word and we recognize the failures in our own daily walk, do we fall under conviction? Do we repent? Or do we go, man, I, should, I knew I shouldn't have read that thing today. <sighs> right? Are there people that have their Bible sitting on the desk and they don't open it? Because you know what? They're afraid of what they're going to see. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't need to hear. We had a lady come to church one time, and she got up and left. Um, and later when I called her, she said, I don't, know, I don't need somebody out there telling me what I'm doing wrong. And I'm like, I don't know what you're doing wrong. I have no idea what you're doing wrong. I'm just telling you what God says. That's called conviction. And there's two responses. You either get mad or you get right. That's right. right. And most people get mad, sad to say. But hey, it doesn't change what's right. He convicts us. Do we respond the way he intends for us to? We've seen Joshua do this right before our eyes. When he made mistakes, he fell before the Lord. And because of the lessons that he learned, listen, And the miraculous things that he remembers because of God's track record in his life, he confidently calls for God to make the the impossible possible. And it happens. He asks. He doesn't realize how big what he's asking is yet. Verse 13 says, And the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And we see that place where it says the book of Jasher. Right that book of Jasher Jasher means upright or straight that 's what that word translates, and what this is believed to be is actually a recorded history of the Jewish people, where they would record events. It wasn't Scripture, but it was like a historical chronicle of things that were taking place. So what it's saying is this is telling us that it was already recorded in Jasher before Joshua actually recorded this for us. So that highlighted or timeline of events had already been written. But what is recorded in that, that book of Jasher is that one day was made into two days. Amazingly, the sun stretched out its time. It had never happened before. And it says that it will never happen again. Verse 14. And there was no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. On behalf of his faithful servant, God did the impossible. And here I want to remind us of something that we've talked about before. I mentioned it in the beginning. The Old Testament is a picture book. When you want to learn something as a child, you get the word and you get the picture. God is the ultimate teacher. And guess what he does? He takes the Old Testament, these real historical events that took place. They depict things that we can see, understand, recognize, and visualize, see the picture. Right? And then he teaches us the concept in the New Testament. And the two work together. And what we're seeing here is God's teaching us something. He's showing us something that we need to recognize, which is the fact that, listen, bottom line is it's, the, it's recognizing the sovereignty of God and the heart of God. Okay? Okay? This is what's so key. It's what we're lacking in our world today. We're limited by what our reality tells us. We're more doubtful of God than we've ever been as a society because we don't believe God can do what he used to do. Back then, God did this. Back then, God did this. He's the same God. The same God with the same power, with the same heart, with the same track record. And we're his people. And yet we don't trust God for the impossible. We just fall on our knees and say, well, I guess it's just not meant to be. And if we do pray, it's one of those ones, well, God, you know what? If you'd fix it, I sure would appreciate it. If you'd work on this, I sure would appreciate it. I don't expect you to, but I mean, if you you found time, it'd be great if you would. That's the way we pray. And it's a sad state of affairs. But I can tell you from personal experience that God can do the impossible. That God would take. And you you didn't know me when I was lost. I was ugly, hateful, hurtful, destructive. I hurt people across the board. I was filled with self. I was wicked. I was sinful. And the fact that God would reach into a life like mine who had never been in church, at 34 years old, I'd never sat in a church service. And yet God saved me on a Saturday and Sunday. put me in church. And a few weeks later, he was changing my heart. Amen. And today, he gives me to preach his word. And I get to pastor people and pour my heart out to our community. That's an impossible thing. Yeah. My reality, my world, where I came from, it wasn't what I was created to be. But yet God saw something different. Amen. Amen. The fact that God reached into a marriage that just, if, just within a decade was, was literally destroyed. It was wrecked. It was as badly destroyed as any marriage I can imagine. You wouldn't understand the depth of how broken it was. And yet, my God, stepped in, fought battles that we could not fight, worked on her heart, worked on my heart, grew us, developed us, and took a marriage that was a picture of destruction and created the grace of life that it can reflect Christ in the church. That's an impossible thing. That we have a son that for years and years and years was strung out on drugs, addicted and destroyed, consumed and hopeless. And that God would reach into his life and he would fall on his knees and give up and say, God, I know you've been calling me all my life and I've been fighting it, but I'd give up. Amen. And take that broken, drug-addicted young man and make him a child of God. Praise the, Lord. the impossible. As his mom and dad felt impossible Amen. we tried so hard and didn't do anything but we finally said you know what God only you can do it and we just said he's yours God we believe you can do this we trust you we'll be faithful and he fought on our behalf listen God is still in the miracle working business amen the same power, the same love, the same heart, the same track record. He stands ready and prepared for people to see the impossible made possible. See, the question is, will we trust him to do it? Or will we be consumed with doubt and listen to our flesh and the lies of the world? God has given us All we need to know who he is. We know his track record. We know what he can do. The question is, we believe him to do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you, God, for the example we see in Joshua. Uh, All that you've taught us as we've walked through this book. 74 messages in, God, and uh, I have just been rocked from start to finish. And I'm thankful for it. Lord, I do pray that you'd help us be people of faith. Lord, that we recognize and understand who you are, really are. Not who the world tells us you are, but Lord, what your word tells us. Help us to be people of faith. Lord, help us, God, to live according to your will. Pray boldly to the throne of grace. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know, (laughs) you don't know me or you don't know what's going on in my life, but I need you to know that I'm in a battle. I'm facing some very hard things. And I need God to do something miraculous. If that's you today, I want to pray for you. I, I want to open my heart and pour it out. That God would do a miraculous work on your behalf. That your faith would be strong. That your resolve would be set on pleasing God. If you're here today and you say, I'm facing a battle. Pastor, would you just pray for me? If you would, raise your amen, 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 and amen. And then if you're here today and you say, look, I don't even know where I stand with God. Listen, 21 years ago, somebody asked me if I died today. If I do for sure, I'd go to heaven. And I said, I hope so. I didn't know. And if you have doubts in your heart, Listen, it's not about a religious ceremony. It's about, not about a magic prayer. This is about a broken heart that calls out to a God who loves them, who went to that cross and died with you in mind. And listen, if you're watching this online, you're watching it recorded. Salvation is nothing more than a, a, an attitude of surrender. Will we just give in. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. A gift costs the giver, and it's free to the one that receives it. A free gift is offered to you. And the way you receive it, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, unless any as your works. but books. And understand, it's just a matter of faith. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It will not be the words of the prayer that will save you. It's your heart that God's listening to. It's your heart. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, repeat after me. Dear Lord. I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for my sin. I know that you love me. I don't understand it, but I understand you love me and you died for me. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my life, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I turn from my old life and embrace one with you. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.